What is up everyone? I am Lachlan Samuel and this is the Open Up Podcast, the show where real people open up and share real stories of struggle. Welcome back to the Open Up Podcast, everyone. Episode 52 with Wayne Chase, founder of All Heart, the Perth community that, Wayne, can you describe for us? Yeah, so I've just set up a Facebook page that's um, main overarching purpose is to try and help other people with dealing with adversity. That's after going through some of my own challenges and um, I'm writing a book and that's the title, All Heart, of the book. Um, so that's the reason I set up the Facebook page. That's awesome. That's really cool, man. Thanks. It um, takes a lot of courage to do that on Facebook. Uh, yeah, just putting out your thoughts, feelings, and um, chronicling your life a little bit. Uh, you never know how that's going to be received. Or, um, of course, there's there'll always be some pushback sometimes to some of your thoughts. But... Um, yeah, I hope that it can be some some help to some people. Cool. And how have you found it so far? Has it been cathartic for you? Has it helped? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's been really positive. You know, uh, people reaching out from uh, a few months ago. I had someone speaking to me from Florida that had recently lost their partner in a motorbike accident, which is similar to uh, the situation that I've gone through. Uh, so that was uh, really amazing. And of course, I'm not a counselor or psychologist so but all I do is just try and talk about what's what I've been through and what's helped me and if people can take a little bit from that then fantastic if not it's it's someone to talk to which can also help as well so yeah overall the the feedback's been really positive yeah and I think that's the most powerful way to help someone too because if they're in a similar position position similar situation what you yeah. say is going to mean a heck of a lot more and they're going to resonate with exactly what, what you're going through. Yeah, um, and and just not so, even situations that are different from mine, just struggles, challenges, hopefully just um, any of the facing fears, any of the information that I put out there. Um, if people take a little bit from that or it helps one person, then then that uh, gives me a purpose and helps me with my challenges as well. So That's awesome, man. That's, Thanks. That's cool that you found purpose in something so traumatic yeah definitely um i think we all need a reason to get up in the morning and if you've gone through something uh some adversity or some challenges or some difficulty suffering pain and suffering in your life um so you can easily spiral down into a you know a pit of despair and um, so finding something that's given me some purpose and some meaning and um, that it, it's a huge a huge help with with the grief that I've been going through and I'm stoked for you hey um, thanks the question I usually start off with is how would you describe yourself uh, as a man or as a human oh that's <laughs> you needed to tell me that one before so <laughs> you so don't I have to be humble about it and uh yeah, no, so when I was younger, I was a lot more introverted and lacked confidence. So, you know, it's taken me a good portion of my life to sort of work on those issues and get through that. Um, so now 
yeah, now I think that I'm a lot more confident than I used to be and about me, I sort of try and live each day to the to its full potential and make the most out of life and try as many new different experiences as I can to sort of wring as much out of this life as possible. That's really cool, man. I think most or a lot of people would have a way better experience of life if they lived like that instead yeah. of bowing, bowing into fear and especially that fear of judgment from social pressure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and literally lately I've been facing some fears. My youngest son has, for some unknown reason, and he was the same as me. He was really quiet and shy when he was younger and he's just found his confidence and that sort of manifested over the last three or four years into this adventurous, uh, thrill-seeking sort of um, attitude. So we just recently, we went to New Zealand on a holiday in wow. January, travel around in a camper van for three weeks. So he had me bungee jumping and paragliding and he's just found <laughs> skydiving and it's really pushing my boundaries. Uh, but seeing him do it and he's, yeah, it's literally the facing those fears has, has been a, a real challenge. But yeah, no matter how great the fear, I try and just keep stepping forward into it and pushing into it rather than that you get that automatic reaction to pull back yeah. when faced with something challenging or fearful. Generally, you want to sort of go backwards, pull that safety blanket around yourself. Uh, so I try and notice when that's when I'm feeling like pulling back and trying now to push forward. So Yeah, and most of the time with that sort of stuff too. Oh, sorry, lost your sound. Oh, no, that's okay. I started saying something. Oh. Yeah, you're right. Go. Um, most of the time when you push through that fear, you realize that that fear is irrational too. Like if you go bungee jumping yeah. or skydiving, you know, you realize that the fear was irrational because the adrenaline was just amazing and the experience was amazing. And the only thing yeah. holding you back from experiencing that was your mind. Yeah, definitely. And if you look at, say, if I take the skydiving as an example, some people will view that as the best experience or say going into it their first one they'll be pumped and psyched whereas some people will be paralyzed with fear but it's exactly the same activity you have the same ability to undertake it but your belief one person has the belief that it'll be awesome one person has the belief that it'll be terrifying so it's just your beliefs that are getting in the way of you trying or experiencing something and like you said then once you do it um usually afterwards especially the skydiving is the achievement that sense of achievement and uh like you said the adrenaline it's just an awesome feeling afterwards although i have to preface that with the bungee jumping i didn't enjoy at all even <laughs> afterwards it was terrible even after you know people are coming back up going yeah it was awesome and i was going no it was terrible i hated it so it's the same that belief it's weird that for some reason my mind the skydiving's okay, and I've done three tandems now. And yeah. my son, he's only fourteen, but he wants to he wants to do it solo. But you have to be sixteen to do yeah. the course to learn to jump on your own. So he's he's ninety five percent talked me into doing that with him. Um, but the bungee jumping, I oh, for whatever reason, I think it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but you know everyone's different. So okay, um, let's get on to I guess childhood. And then all the way up until the story that you're here to share with us today. Sure. Can you give us a breakdown of that? 
uh, childhood. So, yeah, just born in the UK, only lived there till I was three. Then my parents immigrated to Australia. We lived in Victoria till I was 11 or 12. Then moved to WA just for the weather. And um, so childhood sort of, yeah, played a little bit of sport. Athletics was my main interest. And just went through year 12. And then my idea was... I thought, oh, maybe a police officer would be a good job just for diversity and, and not the mundane routine. Yeah. So I did a, a traineeship that was two years, but then at the end of that, like I said before, I lacked a bit of confidence and didn't feel that I had the confidence to pursue that as a career. Mm-hmm. So I just transferred into the public sector. So then I was about 20 years with the public sector, got married early, and then prior to, I didn't have any foresight that becoming a dad would provide me with the purpose and meaning and direction that it did but I always felt a bit I wasn't passionate about my career I was just sitting behind the desk and just going through the routine and uh, I was just showing up to get paid basically I wasn't interested in what I was doing Um, so I'm thinking what's the you know what's my purpose or what's the meaning of life and just this mundane working Monday to Friday was uh, really got me down but then when my first son Mitch was born, then I was like, wow, this is it. This is my purpose and direction. I wanted to be the best dad possible and provide my, you know, now I've got t- two boys, uh, Mitch and Blake, provide them with the best chance of having a great life. And it became my purpose, but then it was also my greatest happiness and joy just seeing them um, achieving things in their lives, playing sport when Mitch. Mitch was the more sporty of the two, got into sport. Then I sort of helped out with his t-ball, coached some baseball and softball. We did Muay Thai together the last 18 months of his life. And uh, then he went the last year when he got into riding a motorbike. I'd never ridden one, but I threw myself into that. I got a bike and a trailer and we were doing – I was taking him and his mates out camping and just doing stuff with my boys became my greatest joy and happiness in my life. That's awesome, man. It almost sounds as if – General like summary. your boys taught you how to not be so introverted, like you said you were as a kid. Yeah, and it was really bizarre that, like I said, I was lacked confidence. So then, when you lack confidence, you you admire and you want to be. You look up to people that are the alpha males, and yeah. that's what you want, or you want respect. And when you yeah, when you're introverted, you wish that you could be uh, the center of attention or something. It's always that looking at things on the other side of the fence. But it was really bizarre. Mitch was born, and from day one, he was off the charts an extrovert. Just crazy stories. Uh, doing ridiculous things. We went on a baseball trip when he was 10, and he's, he saw the travel guide up the front of the coach, the bus, with a microphone. He's like, Dad, do you think I can go up and do my impersonations on the microphone? I'm like, oh, my God. I said, yeah, why not? And he was just an off-the-charts extrovert, had all this confidence. He had uh, success. He played baseball for Australia in a World Series in America. Um, then he got into Muay Thai, had a couple of fights, had a boxing match. Um, just everything he did was he was sort of the alpha male and the leader amongst his friends and super confident and super popular so he became then, he was my son, we were best mates, but then because he was everything that I'd always admired and wanted to be, then he became my hero as well. That is the cutest, man. That is so Thanks. cool. 
Yeah, and it's weird. My youngest son, like I said, Blake, he was introverted and really quiet, and he was the complete opposite to Mitch and didn't like trying water slides or anything when he was younger. But now he's he's found his confidence and he's pushing me as well with this the skydiving and the adrenaline type stuff that he's into now. So it's it's amazing you presume before becoming a dad that you're going to teach them about the world and help them to grow and they flip it around on you and motivate you and inspire you and, and teach you so many lessons. So yeah, they've almost taught me more and helped me grow more than I think I've given to them. So That's super it's, cool. <laughs> it's an amazing journey, yeah. Um, one thing you mentioned like during that and one thing I wanted to touch on was the fact that you were turning up to work every day without a purpose and for most people they probably resonate with that because a lot of people just turn up to work to get paid so they, they can survive. Yeah, and definitely. That's one of my biggest fears and what sent me into depression was turning up to work and not really developing myself um, intellectually or with qualifications or accreditations and so I felt trapped in in FIFO being a scaffold yeah. or a rigger the rest of my life and that scared the shit out of me to the point where I was depressed yeah oh definitely um like I was saying whatever your situation is like it might be your career um maybe you haven't got some outside interests or passions or maybe you have and they're the things that provide you with a purpose and direction it might not be your career maybe you do just go in and get paid and it's not your ideal thing but maybe you've got outside interests that motivate you and inspire you and and give you that passion and purpose but i think everybody needs maybe it's being a dad like i was saying um everybody needs something i think not where everyone's different of course but for my like way of thinking that you know if you don't have that direction and reason to get up in the morning, then it can definitely lead to depression and um, mental health problems. So I think we all need something. Yeah, I think we all yearn to be part of the tribe and being part of the tribe means providing value in some sort of way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, everyone wants to be um, valued and, um, yeah, that can include being part of any sort of group or interest or whatever passion you have. Okay. Um, are you comfortable sharing your story with us now? Yeah, sure. Okay. Go for it. Okay. So in December in 2016, um, my son was home with his mates and like I mentioned, he'd got into riding dirt bikes um, maybe 12 months prior. And that night he said to me that he was going to take his bike to five acres to a, another kid's property on five acres. So they were going to stay there the night and ride dirt bikes there the, the next day. Yeah. Um, his two mates that he was with didn't have bikes. So they were, they were walking when they left my house. So I had no reason to believe that Mitch would ride off and leave his mates. And he said they were going, this person's house was five minutes away. So... I was comfortable that he would he would walk his bike and I was comfortable because he said they were going to five acres of private property and riding on a private property is legal. So, of course, he was only 15. He didn't have a license and his bike was a dirt bike. It wasn't registered. But as kids do, he was misleading me. They were always planning to go to another friend's house that was a suburb away. So his two friends caught the bus 
and Mitch rode his bike on the road. Um, so halfway to the, the place where they were heading to, a car with some young guys, three young guys in it, saw him. And the driver's excuse to the police afterwards was that he believed Mitch's bike was his bike that had been stolen, which it wasn't. So they chased Mitch, which caused Mitch to speed and ride recklessly to try and get away. Um, and I, he went through a giveaway sign and collided with the side of a car that was crossing in front of him. And the guys that were chasing him left the scene. They saw in his police statement, the driver said he saw the accident, realised how horrific it was that would cause serious injuries, possibly death, but he chose to, to leave the scene of the accident. And as so some people came out, they gave Mitch some CPR and they got him going again and he was, I got a knock on my door, someone rang his phone, a friend of his rang his phone and then came to my Sorry, are we still are we still going? Oh, sorry, I got to um, yeah, someone rang, my rang phone. his phone. Um, so yeah, I went to the scene and I saw him there. He wasn't he wasn't conscious after he impacted the car. He never regained consciousness. He was taken to the hospital. He had a lot of injuries, uh, but the worst one was his head. Um, even though he had a helmet on, the swelling. Um, to his brain, cut off the blood supply. Uh, so we were told that he wouldn't make it, um, well, that he wouldn't make it or that he'd be severely disabled, uh, which, as I said, being the best thing in my life, being a dad was, was the most traumatic moment of my life. Uh, so that was then the following day they did tests and determined that he was brain dead. So we chose to make the decision to turn off the machines, and he passed. Uh, yeah, and then we were—I so can't even remember how we were. How I was told that, then informed that he was chased, and uh, you know, in the next following, the, the following month, the police found the driver of the car, and he admitted to what had happened. Um, then he was charged with manslaughter. Uh, failing to stop at an accident, failing to report an accident, and he had no driver's license as well. So that's been an ongoing, only just finished on Wednesday, two and a, two years, two months, court process, which is the grief from losing Mitch was just off the chart ridiculous. I'd never, I'd had a close family member pass away before, but it was my nan, and being in her 90s, it was expected you know, she was in pain, she wanted to go and she'd had a fair crack at life, done what she wanted to do. And it was the na it was the natural way you presume things are supposed to work, that yeah. people reach yeah. old age. But then, so the grief from that was only short-lived, but I think the grief from Mitch will, will last for the rest of my life. So it'll always be painful. And, yeah, after those weeks and months afterwards was just unbearable i can't even imagine that man like um i say sure. when you're a parent when you have a kid it's almost as if you have a piece of your heart that exists outside your chest that's how yeah. attached you are and 
you know, hearing parents prior to becoming a parent, you hear someone say, I'd give my life for my child. And I always thought, what are you talking about? You only get one life. That's your life. Why would you have now your phone's ringing? Why would you, why would you give your life away? I you know, really didn't understand. But then becoming a dad, you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. It's, it's, um, and it's, it's sad. Unfortunately, you do hear about some parents that are, absent parents or there's a divorce or there's a, a bad situation, whatever happens, a situation. And then some parents aren't as involved in their kid's life. But for me, it was it was everything and, and still is with Blake. But um, then it was, yeah, it just made the pain just incredibly difficult. Yeah, I mean, like you said before, having Mitch was like the – and becoming a father was like the first time you realised your purpose, and so yeah. only to lose your son and, like you said, your hero, but to lose your purpose in one go—that's that's a lot yeah. to take on. Yeah, and like I mentioned with his baseball, when he was about eight, he was playing t-ball when he played in the state championships, and then he just he enjoyed the experience so much that then he wanted to, you know, sort of slowly build, but. We were practicing nearly every day. He wanted to take it as far as he could. So then that became a new purpose. I was doing whatever I could to help him practice and train. And um, and then to see him play for WA and then play for Australia was uh, the proudest moment of my life to see him. We were in a world, he was in a World Series for 13-year-olds in Maryland in the US. Wow. And to see them announce, you know, they had a sort of opening ceremony to see him walk out and for them to say, Mitchell Chase, and that was my son. You know, I had tears in my eyes. It was the proudest moment of my life. And to know that I'd helped so much from him just going from an average T-ball player to, to reaching that level by all the practice that we'd done together uh, felt like one of the greatest achievements for him, but for my life as well. So um, That's beautiful, man. Yeah, thanks. Um, but, yeah, and then to, to lose all that and 18 months prior to to losing Mitch, I went through a divorce and then my youngest son, Blake, was doing a 50-50 custody. Yeah. So I'd gone from, in 18 months, four of us in the house and just being constant activity as it is with a family to losing my wife. Then my youngest son only seemed 50-50 with our, a week each yeah. custody. But then I had Mitch with me 90% of the time and then for him to go, the void was, the loss was almost complete. You know, um, yeah, so devastating. Were you able to speak to anyone like after having lost your wife? Did you have any support when you lost Mitch? So I can imagine you would have needed someone to lean on. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, after losing my wife, uh, going through a separation and divorce. Then Mitch was my greatest support. He was always, come on, Dad, let's go let's go to the beach, which I knew what he was up to, the cheeky shit. He just wanted to go fishing. But he was trying to sell it to me that it will be good for you to get out of the house and stop moping around, which it was. It was, uh, of course, he wanted to go fishing. 98% of the reason he asked me to go was to go fishing. But he, but I still went. And, you know, I'd have a swim and I'd feel more relaxed. And then he got me into the motorbikes and we were doing that together and just generally ferrying him around because he was a non-stop all-action type of kid so 
he helped me the most after. And he was really uh, mature for his age. Even though he was 15, he was uh, was asking me how I was going, and it was it was great to have him there. Um, so then after losing him, that was early on. That was the greatest help for me was the love and support of family and friends. And it's amazing. The um, we were having people, you know, calling and messaging, and people dropping around. And then it's you even get support from sources that you didn't think. Well, you would sort of people that you just acquaintances that you just knew on the periphery have now become really close friends. And some of those have lasted even up until now. They uh, still contact me when. Um, it's a court date or it's an anniversary of Mitch's. They know when his birthday is or the anniversary of his passing. So that initially was, was all that really helped to get me through. And of course, my younger son, Blake, you know, I still had him. So that, um, I think with anyone with any challenges, difficulties is super important to have a support network and to me it felt like a bit of a, a, a safety net you know when I felt like I was when I was alone there was so much alone time as I was saying with with um, the family being separated but then you're alone and those thoughts start manifesting as they can just with any little problem in life those thoughts when you're alone they start sh- building and stewing and manifesting and you engage in, in them and give them energy and but then when you talk to somebody, they go, oh, hang on, have you thought about – they look at things from a different perspective and you can, it, can, it can really uh, circuit break those, that negative downward spiral that you're on. Yeah. And I think uh, you hear often that the guys are not, as a general rule, they're not great about talking about their emotions. And like uh, you were saying, sometimes guys are like, oh, you've got to be strong. You, you, gotta, you can't show weakness or – um, you hear that guys don't offer, it's a problem for men's health not going to the GP and talking about when a when a problem a health issue flares up but it's I think it's essential you need to be open and it's not a, it's probably I believe it's a greatest uh, sign of strength is to admit and be open about your vulnerabilities and tell people the help that you need is a greater source uh, sign of strength than just trying to go it alone and um, trying to tough it out on your own. It, you just, it helps so much. And then just being alone and with my thoughts, you know, would drive me crazy. But then just being with people and talking, if we're talking about Mitch or we're just talking about anything else, uh, I always felt so much better being with people and talking. So, and yeah. Is that something you had to work on or were you just open to that from no, the get just. Yeah, I've just opened to that. Um, I've always, yeah, been, like I said, some people find that difficult to be open about emotions and feelings, but for whatever reason, I'm just, I'm okay with, with talking about it, which was beneficial because uh, it helped me a lot. But I did I did go to a, the coroner's court, offered a free counselling service. Well, so I went there, for, I only went for three sessions. And it did help uh, a little bit to have grief and some of the feelings explained and, and talked about. But I did find just as much benefit talking with family and friends. That's amazing. That's a super powerful message too. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it doesn't have to be grief or extreme suffering or pain. Any little problem in your life, a friend can just make can just trigger something there. You look at something from a different perspective and can just break that that pathway of of negativity or where whatever uh, crazy thoughts that we all have when we're just alone and our our little monkey mind, as a yeah. Buddhist term, starts starts going exactly. off on tangents. So. When yeah. you're going over the stories in your head, you're usually trying to justify whatever it is you're thinking, no matter how good or bad it is. So especially when you're down and you face something like what you've faced, if you're yeah. feeling down in the dumps and close to depression, then yeah, what you do definitely. when you're internalizing it is justify it in your head and uh, build more and more of a story around it. It's like yeah. exactly what you said. It's it's a circuit breaker talking to people and being vulnerable yeah. and being open-minded. And I just heard just what you are saying on recently. Uh, I think it was a Tony Robbins book that I was reading. He was saying when you buy a blue car, you notice blue cars or you know, the same model, same make. But they're always been there. It's just something. So the same. it's the same with your mental health or – if you're, especially with the grief, there was a lot of, you know, feelings of guilt or this sort of the grief brings up these bargaining statements of what if, why didn't I do this? But then on that, you'll be, if you're, if you're depressed, you'll find reasons like finding the blue car, you'll find reasons to reinforce your thoughts and beliefs, which uh, you might be ignoring all the other cars on the road, but you're paying attention to those ones that feed those could be sad thoughts, depressive thoughts, feelings of guilt. You'll find things to reinforce. So, yeah, the, again, the talking with people can, you know, they can say you 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 go you crazy thoughts. You know, um, have you thought about? this that or yeah yeah looking at things from a different perspective usually powerful man like and for anyone who's going through something like that i'd recommend even going to a counselor or a psychologist if you feel like you yeah. need to if you feel like you can't oh, open up to family and friends um, yeah knowing that that court process has been so long um have you felt that you've been able to heal properly within that period because obviously having lost Mitch would be hard enough and then yeah. finding out that someone else's actions had caused it like yeah. having that closure were you able to heal um it was it was really difficult uh and it, it you know then when you find out the name of the person and then you see their pictures on facebook um and then to see them in at court dates and he was out on bail and he lived in my suburb. So he wow. was only five minutes away. And um, and then you, you're stressed. You've got the grief. But then on top of that, there's the anxiety and stress of, oh, what if I bump into him at the shops? Or yeah. So and then, and of course, the part of grief is, is anger as well. So you have this anger that's... Um, you know, so I've always been a calm, placid person, but you've got this this anger that's, you know, your thoughts of revenge and, uh, you know, getting revenge for Mitch and and all that on top of the grief is is, you know, it's really intense. So initially, the first um, eighteen months, it was it took about 
could have been actually 15 or so months before he was actually pled guilty and then was sentenced. But probably after the guilt, the, the anger and frustration at those court appearances was was yeah really difficult to deal with but yeah it was difficult to heal when you and then even through the process you you're sort of feeling okay for a particular week but then you have a call from the police or the dpp that update you on something that's happened so then it spikes the all that grief comes flooding back or just the anxiety and the stress of going to a court appearance adds so much extra on top of the grief so yeah it does make it difficult so if it was just an accident you'd only have the grief but then having all this extra added stress and anxiety has has been really difficult to deal with it as well but from the time that he was um he was sentenced and and he, he got a five-year with parole jail term then i've been able to let go of a lot of that and the last with there's been an appeal process the last nine months but the last two appearances where they had the appeal hearing and then when when stage has gone they released the finding but i didn't go i just thought i've done my part i represented mitch at the court dates up until the sentencing and then i thought now it's time for me to let it go what keeps going the appeals or whatever happens with his life now is is his life uh, I've done my part representing Mitch. The courts of uh, the police, the DPP, the charges that were laid and the sentence that was handed down with the courts, I accept that they've um, handed down and given a sentence that was appropriate. So I've been able to really let go of um, as as much as I can of thoughts uh, around him. And I just want to focus now on my love for Mitch and my and Blake and my life moving forward. That's really powerful, man. That's that's yeah. beautiful. Like that's a you're an inspiration taking that oh. taking that stance. Yeah, even uh, yesterday I spoke to the the lawyer at the DBP. Of course, I still wanted to know what the outcome was of the appeal, and he said to me uh, he could forward me. He said the report could be thirty to forty pages. The yeah. the judges finding just on the appeal because they is comparison to a whole range of other cases and every little legal point they cover. And I just thought, no, I don't. I said, oh, can you just give me the general gist? So he just gave me a sentence on why both appeals were dismissed and the original sentence was stands. Uh, I thought, I don't, I don't need to read that. It's just extra details. Um, he also said that now that everything's finished, we'll get a copy of the coroner's report. And I thought, I don't need to read that either. It's just if I read extra details, say there's extra injuries that Mitch had that I didn't know about, then that's in my head for life. Um, and it's I just... It's more for you to overcome. It's Once it's in there, once you've heard it, it's there forever. Um, so, of course, I wanted to know everything that happened. I wanted It was my son. I needed to know what happened. But extra things like, you know, the appeals... Uh, finding and the coroner's report, things that I don't need to, uh, aren't essential then. I'm trying to just cut those off because yeah. it, it'll just cause extra grief and anxiety. So, so how, I try have you, um, my- how have you been able to, or what have you used yourself to sort of 
process all of this grief, like what you've been through and losing Mitch and this appeal, like how do you personally or how have you personally gone about overcoming this? Because I can't even imagine having to do that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's a continual ongoing process and I think I'll always struggle with the grief and the pain of losing Mitch. It'll, it'll always be there. Um, but, yeah, early on, like I mentioned, it was that strength and support and love from strangers and, and so many so many people has helped a lot. Um, and then one of the biggest ones has been uh, five months after Mitch's accident, I decided to write a book I thought he had he was so determined with his baseball he lacked any fear taking on when he was in that boxing match it was he was 15 he took on a 19 or a boxer he'd never done a boxing match I'm like what are you doing um but just that lack of fear that confidence I thought maybe if I, I could share those stories and maybe they'd inspire others or just his uh, making the most of every minute of the day, never sat down, never sat still. So I thought maybe sharing his stories would would help others. So that was the initial idea behind the book. And then I also thought sharing my uh, journey with grief could be useful or help others. Or And now trying to do something positive after something painful and traumatic, hopefully that can also maybe give, inspire others to find something in the pain um so then having that purpose and having that it sort of filled a little bit of that void of losing mitch it was just like i said he was such a big unique character that was such a huge void um and the grief was a hundred percent grief a hundred percent of the time but then once i came up with the idea for the book you know i've got no idea about writing or publishing or a cover or a title editing distributing marketing promoting all this stuff i had no social media marketing trying to to create the page that i talked about so all this sort of stuff so i noticed you know i'm at work and i'm thinking about little ideas and thinking about chapters and i could talk about that i'm constantly scribbling little notes for the first 12 months so it was it gave me a purpose but also it was a huge distraction and and got a lot of my thoughts around the new project although of course writing about losing mitch was incredibly incredibly painful but for the majority for the most part having that project and that purpose um was taking a lot of thought away from it just being a hundred percent on the grief so and that's still like a um it's like another outlet for you, like it was with the family and friends and speaking about Mitch and speaking about yeah. grief. Or like, it's like another form of journaling for you. Yeah. With journaling, oh, it's a chance to get the thoughts out of your head, to look at them and to decide whether or not they're accurate for you. It's yeah, that's book right. And that's amazing, man. Yeah, I was just pouring it all out. And uh, when I did go to the counsellor, um, she just touched on, she was talking about different um techniques that they use for people suffering with grief and she just touched on if people have post-traumatic stress uh, she said they can intensely focus on one element or one event and go over and over and over it in intense detail and that will then cause a desensitizing of the emotions if you like i suppose like the skydiving the first time it's just complete you know over um bearing you know 
fear, but then you do some anything you do in life over and over again, you desensitize the fear, you get more confident. So going over and over things, going over the edits and going through everything that's happened, that may have created a little desensitizing to the intensity of the emotions around all those different events that I've written about. So yeah, the distraction, the desensitizing, the having the purpose and and now, you know, any little snippets or anything I read that helps me, then I try and share that on Facebook as well. So thinking about doing little Facebook lives or how to how to talk in front of the camera. It's all new things that I'm learning um, that provides that purpose and a and a distraction as well. So that's really cool, man. I'm glad you could use your trauma, uh, the trauma of losing Mitch, to I guess propel you on to help people in this sort of way. Yeah. It's hugely powerful, man. And if anyone can take anything from this, it'll be to take that, use, turn your struggle into something to help others because that's where you yeah, find your value and your purpose. Yeah, so, and there's so many stories. And that was another big part was a part of this and a part that I've talked about in the book is choice uh, because XYZ happens, you don't have to respond. You have the choice of how you respond. Something extremely tragic or painful, of course, it's you're going to spiral down and you're going to feel sad and just gutted and depressed but at some point uh, and that's all a natural normal part of the grieving process but at some point you can make the choice you do have the choice that you don't have to continually continue spiraling down um, you don't have to choose negative behavior you know I can understand how easy it could be to you know people have suicidal thoughts or uh, numb the pain with whatever substances, but you can have a choice to choose strength and choose to do something positive or to, you don't, you have a choice of how yeah. you respond. Okay. It doesn't have to be. I think, uh, um, what, one of the things I wanted to ask, and I hope this doesn't come across rude at all, but if, I guess I should ask, is there any, guilt on your part with losing Mitch I, I don't feel like there should be but is there any guilt there yeah definitely of course I think um, you know from what I've read it's a huge part of grief and even just with the Mitch circumstances situation I've heard grief from uh, guilt sorry from so many different people and I always think well why would you feel guilty for example my uh, my mother's husband Years and years ago, he took Mitch for a ride around the block on the back of his motorbike. So he mentioned that he felt some guilt that maybe that was the spark that started Mitch's interest in motorbikes. I was like, well, it never even crossed my mind. But I think everyone has, you know, even his friends, lots of people have felt guilty for lots of different reasons. Everyone thinks, could I have done this? Should I have done that? Could I have done something differently? Of course, I've questioned, you know, that night that he left, I held him up for a few seconds as I was talking to him. I said, oh, my God, I've, if I hadn't have held him up, he might have missed the car. And maybe I should have known, maybe I should have questioned him further about going to the friend's house. Uh, I mean, as always, hindsight's 
you're always an expert in hindsight and it can be, you know, hindsight can cause a lot of grief. But, yeah, and then I think, oh, did I do something as a parent that got him to a point where he thought he could take the piss and ride his bike on the road without a license? Uh, what? Um, but yeah, there's and, a and lot, those, eh? yeah, there's a thousand different thoughts of guilt. Uh, all those what if, what could have, what I could have done better, what I could have done differently, and like I said, they spiral out of control. And it, and opening up and talking about them was one of the best ways to sort of deal with those thoughts. Um, but yeah, I think with anyone, have you, um, have you tried forgiving yourself, or do you see forgiveness for yourself on the horizon at some point? Yeah, I feel that I have. Um, as I said, just people giving me a different perspective and saying, uh, when you say questioning myself about could I have been a, been a better parent, um, that would have set a mindset with Mitch that he wouldn't have uh, thought that he could push the boundaries that, that much. And then, for example, friends would say, yeah, but he was a teenager. Every, not every teenager. A lot of teenagers, they might skip school. They might just lie to their parents. They might shoplift, steal some beers out of the fridge. They push boundaries. Not all of them, of course, but it's common that they're starting to find who they are and they try to break a little bit from those rules of the parents. So, you know, that guilt about could I have done better and then friends will say, yeah, but look at the time and the effort that you poured into being a dad and providing so many, you know, you had lots of different international trips. Lots of kids don't have those experiences or there's some kids unfortunately don't have a great relationship with their dad and we were good mates camping and doing all these things together. So, yeah, you can sometimes you can st- you can focus on the negatives but then – friends can break that and bring you back and remind you of all the things you did do right and realistically nobody's perfect no there's no perfect parent there's no perfect child everyone's going to have faults and things that they could do better but that's just part of being a person so yeah there was a lot of guilt Um, but I think I'm in a lot better place now when I try and notice if I'm heading down that little rabbit hole and break myself off and and come back to the positives Um, couple questions before we move on to the last questions before we wrap up sure um like knowing everything that you've been through um losing mitch in the court case and all the healing and vulnerability you've had to do over that period looking back what what are the most profound things that you feel mitch has taught you about yourself and about life and about everything else. Yeah, uh, I talk about in the book that, like I said, my lack of confidence as a younger person into my 20s restricted my opportunities and enjoyment of life and caused me my own uh, mental health issues, you know. Um, And then I looked at the way he lived his life and his confidence and... provided him with so many amazing opportunities so and his lack of fear so now like i was saying with scott i mean now i just push forward um rather than pull back as i used to uh 
so that lack of fear and then through losing Mitch in hindsight now I look at the way that he made the most of every single minute of his day he experienced so much in his 15 years and I think that's something that we can all take away is that he was fit he was healthy he loved life he had big plans for his future but you never know Tomorrow's not a guarantee for anybody. We never know. I mean, unfortunately, you hear so many stories about people that are diagnosed with cancer. And you see often they might have a 12-month um, prognosis, they, you know, terminal, and they've got 12 months. And then they use that they have this new mindset and they start ticking off those bucket list items. Well, something like this happens. And for me, I think that's it. I'm going to attack life and not waste a minute. But I hope that people don't have to get to the trauma or the uh, a negative health diagnosis. They can realise that tomorrow is not a guarantee and to not procrastinate, sit on the fence and say, oh, one day maybe I'll get around to blah, 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 whatever's on their to-do list and to to attack it and go for it and give it a go and you're much better getting to 80 and think, I gave it a go and I failed. But if you get there and think, oh, I wish, wonder what that was would have been like. I wish I'd tried. Yeah. So I don't want to be that guy. You're amazing yeah. representation of attacking life, Thanks. brother. Super, Thank super you. stoked for you. I'll try. Um, a couple quick questions. Knowing, knowing everything that you've been through, what would you say the quality of your life is like now, knowing that you have this newfound purpose? and that you are going to change lives? That helps a lot. But like I said, there'll always be a huge void and there'll always be grief and sadness that he's not here with me and that he's not, especially seeing his little brother, like uh, seeing his little brother who was the quiet, shy one, skydiving and doing these amazing things, which would have been so proud. So there's so many things. I don't get to see him grow into a man and get married and be a dad. Uh, so there'll always be a lot of grief and pain but yeah I just try to keep going and remain positive by trying to do what I can to use this pain to help others that are struggling so it's beautiful bro Um, thanks what have you added to your life or removed from it to improve the quality of it um that's a tough one probably added that I say one thing that I've added to my personality that I think the pain and suffering has made me more open to other people's pain and suffering I think we can all get a lifetime of watching the news and every night like I was talking about before about being desensitized to fear when you keep facing your fears you become desensitized I think a lot of us are desensitized to pain and suffering because that's all they show on the news. They, you know, if it's a slow news night now with modern technology, they'll find a depressing story of rape, pillage, and and uh, suffering from somewhere around the world. And that's all that you're fed on the news. Uh, positive stories: someone helps an old lady across the road. It's not going to make the. Uh, I think there's a, a phrase: if it bleeds, it leads on the news. So positive stories aren't as dramatic. So that's all it is, and you become desensitized. That's all you see. If you've never seen the news and suddenly you saw uh, a war, a story of a war, you'd be devastated. Or famine in Africa, you'd 
you'd be gutted and overcome with grief, but we've all had a lifetime of viewing it and you just become desensitized. You can see horrific images and it has no impact on you. But I think then going through immense grief and suffering, it really opened me up to other people's suffering and and trying to look. So I've had so much help and support that now that I want to be that for other people and be open to other people's pain and suffering and try and help where I can. That's amazing, man. Thanks. Um, what are you most grateful for right now? Uh, right now, Blake, my other son, like I said, being a dad's the best thing that's happened to me. Um, I have lost Mitch and it's that's uh, an unfortunate fact that I have to, I, I don't think I'll ever fully accept it. There'll always be some denial that can't believe that it's true. But I know I have to accept it, but I still have Blake and uh, thoughts of going forward and him pushing me to maybe skydive on my own and doing that with him and stuff and seeing the joy that he gets from it is um, still my greatest joy, being a dad and and still having those experiences with Blake. That's awesome. Um, Thanks. Okay, last question. If you had the chance to put a message on a billboard knowing everything that you've been through and you know thousands of people would see this message on this billboard every day, what would that be? Oh, that's a tough one because that'd be a lot. That'd be a lot. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, these days, there's so many great messages, but we're bombarded. Like I was saying, we've been bombarded with the news. We're bombarded with awesome quotes and motivational quotes and little snippets on Facebook and social media and you do sort of get a bit blase and you get desensitized to those as well. That's going to be the word of the podcast. Um, yeah, just maybe belief. If if you if you truly believed in anything, anything's possible. Um, like I said, I was really shy and introverted. I almost failed you 12 English because I refused point blank to do any public speaking. And now I'm on things like this, podcasts, or uh, when I coached my son's sport, you know, talk to the parents and stuff. You, wherever you are at the moment, it may seem unbelievable that you could get to where you need to get to, but with those small little steps and a real true, true belief that, you, that anything, yeah, it sounds... Sounds corny, but anything really is possible. So it is, and the only thing limiting you is you. Yeah, exactly. So, if other people can do it, then you can. It's possible. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, to wrap up, brother, I just want to acknowledge you for making the time to do this. Oh, thanks, for most man. of all, having gone through what you've gone through—that immense grief and loss—having um, to withstand all of this with the court case and now coming out the other side and having all heart writing your book Thanks. and helping people. Oh, that should have been my quote, be all heart. That's, <laughs> that's the reason I called it all heart was so there was a few different examples of Mitch and people described that he had a lot of heart. So that gave me the all heart. Oh, so now I try and be all heart. And that could have been the billboard because that's the name of the book and the uh, Facebook yeah. page, be all heart. We'll run with that. But I want to acknowledge cool. you for that, man, um, what you're doing, oh, yeah. helping Can I people. Say if, if people uh, want to find me on Facebook, that it's um, All Heart 15. We'll search for All Heart. And, uh, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes oh, on the audio and the video as well. 
Fantastic. Thank Thanks. you heaps for man. You have a good day. All right. Share too. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers, Wayne. Bye. Thanks. See you. Bye.